when you start saying like your emergency room wait times for little Timmy that choked on a, a Lego or something, he has to wait because there's 17 people with substance use disorder sitting in front of him getting all the attention. We've learned a lot from that Ground Zero Philadelphia and then probably Ground Zero Zero Puerto Rico. And here's a really interesting aside. Everybody thinks that it really came about in the 20 teens in America, but I was talking to a poison control guy from Philadelphia. He said the first call they had was in 2007. Hey, Life Support listeners, we're back. Did you miss me? Don't don't answer that. I missed you. Um, it was a long month, but we're very excited to come back with some new content. And we just wanted to throw out the invitation that if there's anything you would like to hear from us, any topics, any people you'd like us to talk to, please drop a comment in wherever you're listening, and we'd love to follow up. So thanks again for coming back to us this September and looking forward to having more episodes with you coming up. Thanks for joining us this week. Today, we get the chance to talk with Jason, a wound care nurse with extensive experience in uh, serving people who use the drug xylazine or Trank. Um, if you don't know what that is, you will soon. So uh, stay tuned for that discussion. And just a friendly reminder to please like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Well, we're so happy to have you here, Jason. Could you just start us off with an introduction? And here at See Who, that's a lengthy list, but that includes name, pronouns, where you're from, what you do for work, and then a little bit about what you do when you're not working. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, my name is Jason Beter. My pronouns are he, him, his. For work, I'm a registered wound care nurse, and I work um, actually and now have two positions. One is with a recovery community organization named Voices of Hope Maryland that services two counties in Maryland, one of which is a rural county of about 103,000 people that provide wound care for people who use drugs, direct uh, service wound care. And then the other is I just recently started with Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health as a research nurse. Um, again, doing the same things, but in a urban setting. And then for fun, I, I really don't know. I, everything's kind of fun. Uh, for me, I guess it's playing outdoors, playing with the dogs, my wife, just, you know, living a normal life, you know, breaking away from everything uh, wound or drug related for that balance, I guess. that's It has a lot of different, uh, it turns out to be a lot of different things, but just breaking away, I guess, fun for me. Absolutely. You know, a lot of our audience really represents rural care communities, and we are just starting to hear about xylazine. Can you tell me just a little bit about xylazine and how it relates to opiate use? Sure. Um, xylazine is, for people that don't know, it's a alpha agonist. It's a type of veterinary tranquilizer or sedative that came about I think it hit the, hit the market in 62, or at least they were testing it in 1962. And then in 72, it became available for animal care only. During the testing phase, it was unsafe for people. And since then, it's been in our drug supply. I think whenever humans get the ability to get high, they try it. If you put the ta if you tack on anything from sedative or tranquilizer, someone's going to try to ingest it or do something with it. 
but it never really had the ability to be a viable drug for abuse because it just didn't really do much for you. It would just knock you out. Then I would say probably in the early 2000s, people started uh, matching it up with a sedative, an opioid. Uh, in the beginning, it was heroin. And then um, once it hit stateside, it, was, it, it found a really good marriage partner with fentanyl. And now it's a, a drug of choice. My community doesn't have an ability not to buy it. I don't think in, in today's time they would, but it's not a drug that they, they sneak out. But it, it permeates the drug trade in, in our community. All of our drugs come from Philadelphia. And uh, Philadelphia is kind of known as the ground zero, I guess. And it seems like we've learned a lot from that ground zero Philadelphia and then probably ground zero zero Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. We have these communities where xylazine has been in use for a long time. And I think we've learned a lot about why it's important to be aware of xylazine in the drug supply. Can you talk a little bit more about why the care community and really the community in general should be aware of xylazine? Absolutely. That's actually a really good question. And here's a really interesting aside. Everybody thinks that it really came about in the 20 teens in America, but I was talking to a poison control guy um, from Philadelphia. He said the first call they had was in 2007 for his purposeful xylazine intoxication uh, with an opioid. So um, it's been creeping around in the background for a while. I don't think we ever tested for it. So for the care community, this is when, when I first met this, I only had a single a narrow focus as like a certified wound care nurse. Obviously, I really enjoy doing wound care. So that was my single focus. When I first met xylazine, it took the it took the appearance of hand wounds. That was it. I had no clue about anything else. But simultaneously, I started working into this nonprofit about three years ago, and there was crazy stories about like people overdosing and like eight doses of naloxone given, and they didn't wake up. They didn't die, though, but they didn't wake up. And that, that's not an uncommon story. You'll hear multiple doses. And I just did never, I never put the two and two together. I, I wasn't bright enough for that at the time just because I was, I was hired into a, a recovery community organization and I was learning all the recovery, um, all the recovery terms, all the NA stuff, all that stuff. And I never really took the opportunity to wonder if all the, the pieces fit together. I just knew that they, the organization knew there was wounds that didn't make sense. For healthcare providers, a lot of this, a lot of this gets missed. That's why I, I, I jump hand over fist to, to give talks, especially of rural community groups, because this all got missed. This was going on for years. And the emergency rooms missed it. The treatment providers missed it. The MAT providers missed it. And... What happened is the drug just slipped in right underneath everyone's nose. Nobody was testing for it. Nobody cared about it. It didn't really seem to have much of, it was just another additive in the drug supply. But then when you start talking to, to people who's, who are numbers dependent, like the overdose coordinator for our county, they were like, what the hell is happening? Like, how is this happening? Why, why are people get, like the numbers for naloxone administered by EMS are going up? The numbers for naloxone administered on site before 911's call is going up, but our fatals are going up also. That shouldn't happen. When you start talking to those people and those numbers don't make sense, we finally got someone that cared looking at, at the numbers. Um, I don't want to mis misspeak about the politics of rural counties, but 
it seems to be a permeance of very conservative, not in my backyard. I, I have more important things to be bothered with kind of mentality. And that's okay because it's a tiny community with, you know, limited resources and stuff. They don't want to hear somebody saying, oh, look, you know, your people, the, the people with your drug addiction in your community are dying because of an additive that we need to do something about. That's like, go, that's like talking about ghosts. You, you can't, it's, I don't hold it against them. Law enforcement is uber conservative in this community as well. They were all, and I hate this term, but they were all junkies and drug addicts and they, they deserve to get what they got and stuff. So even approaching it from the law enforcement side was complicated. Um, but once you start speaking in numbers, everyone understood. Once you start giving explanation to why naloxone use is up and people are still dying, money carries a lot of weight. And when you start saying like your emergency room wait times for little Timmy that choked on a something he ate, a Lego or something, he has to wait because there's 17 people with substance use disorder sitting in front of him and with hand wounds or, you know, two overdoses came in, they were getting all the attention in the emergency room with limited resources. When you start speaking in those numbers and you start making it relatable, all of these things were true in our community. And then it eventually came out that like xylazine, the, the reason why you have quote unquote, and this is, I mean, this is one of the worst things that comes around. It's um, naloxone resistant opioids or it's crocodile, or it's, you know, one thing after another. And and the reality is, it's just a really perfect uh, veterinary anesthetic doing its job. And then for for smaller communities, it's, it's a resource drain. There's a lot of closeted folks that use substances that are, you know, the stigma in these communities. I don't know of a utopia where you walk in and be like, yeah, we treat all of our people with substance use disorder beautifully at the hospital. And we have all of these resources and we only have a hundred thousand people in the County. Um, but we have this robust system of health, you know, the health department provides all these great services. Nothing's like that. And xylazine is kind of that sneaker that came in and started causing massive amounts of havoc. People were dying. Overdoses were going up the the hospital use was going up and the stigma was going up. Because usually when you have those go up, the stigma goes up with it. Then you end up with folks with wounds that don't go to the hospital when they need to. Not everything with xylazine starts like the devastating stuff you see online or you see on all the stuff coming out of Philly. And I hate this term zombie drug. You don't start off like a zombie. There's no zombie rot that's occurring. That word needs to get detached itself from xylazine entirely. But um, they start as small wounds, and people are scared to go tell providers about it. There's no one in the community. Sometimes the only people you have to reach out to are your, you, you know, in, in Maryland, we call them SSPs, like syringe service provider. Like, it's just syringe exchange or your harm reduction groups, your nonprofits. Sometimes that's it. Some that's the only resource people have. And that's where we came in, and that's kind of what... um starting the information cycle over with new fresh information explaining to folks that xylazine is a is a issue and um it's in your drug supply and being confident about it with our participants i think the all of these things are how it pertains to to small communities or, or kind of the rural communities i think that that 
is such an important picture to paint is that, you know, you have the substance that's coming into communities. And if there's not awareness within the broader community of people who use substances, with providers, with um, supportive service organizations, it's really the perfect storm for having no resources in place for people as they get sick, as they potentially get injured. Um or die. I think for us and a lot of the communities where we work, this is pretty new information, both for patients and for providers. So can you tell me a little bit about what the landscape looks like for patients intentionally versus unintentionally using xylazine and how that's kind of getting into the supply, both on purpose and not? Okay, so um, I'm, I'm most folks at least in our area, know that the drugs, their opiates they're buying have xylazine in them. When you get into like the, I, I would say more of the accidental ingestion, it's folks that are um, buying stuff online, getting pills, which is, is is still quite common. Yeah, yeah. So I think xylazine is interesting because it's uh, both intentionally being consumed and unintentionally being consumed. And it's New enough, particularly in the areas where we work, that there's not a lot of information out there. So can you talk about what what kind of the pathway looks like for somebody who's intentionally using xylazine and what the pathway looks like for somebody who's unintentionally using xylazine? That's a good way to write it. I'll go down the unintentional. People that are purchasing stuff online illegally through Facebook or Instagram or whatever and meeting people and, and everything. A lot of those folks are buying opioids for pain management. They think they're getting just pain management. Um, the other one's anxiolytics. They think they're buying Valium or uh, like clonazepam or clonazepam, like some sort of uh, anti-anxiety drug. And the reality is they've been buying, at least in our area, press pills, some of the best pills I've ever seen that pass every nursing test I've ever I, I, that anyone's ever taught me about are, have xylazine in them in quantities enough for intoxication. And those folks, it's a surprise for them when they get it, depending on their age and whether or not this is like a child or someone just dabbling with drugs or someone that's actually in the, or like a professional, I hate to use that term, but someone that's no longer recreational. someone that's a habitual user, the habitual users know the difference. The people that are dabbling have no clue. Um, I've realized coming onto this job that there's there's different generations of drug users. And when it comes to opioids, I kind of separate them out a little bit into generation H, generation like your your oral pills, the generation F and the generation XF. Each one of those has a different experience with their consumption. Like you have a plan, like you take a pill, you eat a pill, you know it's going to affect you in X, Y, and Z way. People that did heroin knew what it felt like. When they dabbled from heroin into oral pills, it was slightly different. When you went from oral pills to fentanyl, it was slightly different. This xylazine is a game changer in that you don't know you're ingesting it until you're kind of done ingesting it. It's an anesthetic. It's just like when you, you asked your, I used to work in emergency medicine for procedure stuff and, um, we give them drugs and they wake up and they'd ask you, when are you, are we going to do the procedure still? That's what's happening with people with xylazine. It's that, that little gentle amnesia quality to some drugs that people are waking up if they're lucky, like three or four hours later, not really having a recollection of what's going on. So with the people that are 
when the drug supplies became super tainted and flipped over from benzo, from fentanyl with benzos in it to fentanyl with only xylazine, it was around 2019. And people were aware that there was something different going on. These are the professional drug users, the ones that are kind of habitual. Um, they knew something was different, but fentanyl is a crappy drug. It works fast and it's over fast. And that's, it's a beauty. I mean, we use it by the gallonfuls in emergency medicine. So I was quite familiar with the effects of it where you, you can, I can give you some fentanyl and then you wake up and we put a heart catheter, you know, we put a stent in your heart from a heart attack. It's a great drug. I never in a million years would have saw the recreational value in it just because it's so fast. It's like getting hit with a hammer. You know, hit you real hard and it's over and it's, you're going to want to get hit again real quick. I can't, and that's what the issue was. So fen or um, xylazine kind of made fentanyl, it, it kind of changed the drug a bit because now you're getting high, you're injecting or snorting or, or whichever your ingestion style is. And it's um like four to five hours later, you're getting up, you're waking up. And it's, it's for the habitual user, there's a weird cycle of drug use that started. And when I first started, I saw the folks where, you know, we have a big um, housing challenge community or, or whichever way you want to call it now, where you would see a mobile every single day. You can keep track of them. I knew where they would be. We could go check in on them. I knew they would go, you know, re-up their water at this hose behind one of the gas stations. I knew they would go you know, get money at the, at the grocery store. They were big. Um, I knew where the sex workers worked. Within a year of having xylazine, everybody was sleeping. So you catch them in the mornings and then like two to three or four hours later, you'd have to find them again. Most times they were cuddled up in a tent or like in a sleeping bag somewhere, just sleeping. Five, six, seven people in a house. So those guys... There, there's a weird, there's a subtle change in the drug using community where most people you would find where it would normally be like a shooting gallery, like a, a, like a drug house. You go and you knock on the door and everybody's asleep. It's, it's kind of weird. It's almost like being in like a dystopia or like a, a sci-fi movie. Yeah. You, you, I'm going to go do wound care and someone will call me and we'll go visit. And they were up 10 minutes ago and now they're like, anesthetized like I couldn't take their kidneys out nobody would have done no, no any different and um that's that's the intentional ingestion it's a little weird well I, I think it's good to know again for the broader community and the provider community that there's some there's some seeking that's probably happening there and then there's some accidental depending on where you mm -hmm. are as well but it gets me thinking too about some of the differences that might happen with dependence and as you're going through substance use treatment. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like when you see somebody who's been using xylazine with an opiate and how that dependence might look different? Yeah, this is a big issue. I, I, I met someone at a talk I was giving on in Denver, and I, I sat for hours and talked to him about this. Like this is his own, you could have a conference about this by itself. So because it, it, the drug hasn't been labeled safe for human consumption and it's been in the veterinary field since the 70s, uh, we haven't tested it on humans. Early on, um, we contract, our organization contracts an MAT provider to be on site to do methadone and bup. And the counselors started coming to me when they realized that I, I kind of had a little bit of information about xylazine 
And they all, it, it all starts with something not being right and someone being smart enough to say, why is this happening? A counselor came to me and she's like, we, we keep hitting this wall. We, we, we're, we're getting people to a comfortable dose. We, we try to do it kind of quicker than normal. We know there's xylazine, but we hit this wall of like four to six weeks in, the patient is like, you know, they come in, they're sweaty. They look like they're going through withdrawal. They're, they're anxious. They're, all these weird things that shouldn't be here at this point. What the hell is happening? And those counselors were, were kind of like spot on. There is a, a syndrome of events that goes on when you stop taking xylazine. And it's, it's, it's becoming more defined. But at this point, it's still fairly, um, still, still out there for debate. There's, there's no real treatment as of yet. The drug in and of itself, by, dis, by what the drug is itself, by what xylazine is and alpha agonist, alpha-2 agonist rather, there's other human medicines that's like that. And when you stop people from taking them, you have physical effects. Like when you stop the, there's an IV drug they use in ICU. When, they, when people stop taking it, if you've been on it for a long amount of time, you can anticipate having like a swing in your blood pressure, like a spike in it. Um, it's called rebound hypertension. That that's well known, and that's kind of like okay, that's a physical manifestation of not taking xylazine anymore. We don't know about the psychological parts. A lot of times, in in the talk that I, I always kind of hone in on, I circle back around on is everybody always says this drugs related to clonidine, and it is. It's like having a cousin that's you know clonidine is my cousin, but it. it it, most people fail to talk about it's also chemically related to phenothiazines, which are um, antipsychotic meds and uh, tricyclic antidepressants. So the clonidine really hits it home for the like kind of the, the loose sedation and the blood pressure. But nobody is discussing how it affects the mind in, in the, the withdrawal and addiction part. I, I have a friend that's a provider at a treatment facility a residential treatment facility. And the stuff he describes is, is well beyond anything I could ever imagine. People coming in, um, almost having psychotic episodes. And these are people that have been, I hate to use the word clean, that that's, it means so many things, but people that by their self-designation have been clean from heroin before, that you know have detox off of all the opiates that, that are of abuse. And all of a sudden now they're having these psychotic breaks and, and they're, they're leaving AMA or they're actually being asked to leave because of violence. And these are nonviolent folks. And that's, that's showing me. And the, the person that I know that works there, isn't, he's not new to the merry-go-round. He's been doing this for a long time. For him to say, what's up with all the psychoses coming from your community? Those are all things that we all need to be aware of. I know for a fact that there's some research in the pipeline um, I hate when people tell me about research that's not published yet. I can't stand it. But there is research in the pipeline that is going to explain some of these effects. And it's it's kind of eye-opening that we really don't know anything about this drug. Ultimately, it's at this moment in time, because it is, uh, it's non-scheduled, it's also not allowed by the, the DEA or the FDA um, to be used on humans. We only have animal models and and kind of, point of care, um, case by case presentations, people can only say what they know. And it takes a, a kind of a doctor with a, you know, a feather in their, their behind to do some stuff off label or trying to figure things out. 
most times this gets clumped into the, they're just having a hard time with their opioids. Most providers never say it's something they did. It's always something that the, the patient does, why they're non-compliant. This is one of the situations that we're going to look back and say, wait a minute. Um, there's, there's, there's these people that don't fit into a category or a, a way of being. Maybe it was xylazine. Well, I, I think that that's a good spot for us to kind of wrap up our conversation today. And I hope that we can continue to have conversations in the future. But just to remind people who are working with patients, community members who use drugs to have this on their radar. And I know that we're working with you to get some additional information out there through webinars, through, you know, standalone content. So would encourage our listeners to follow up on that. But I just want to thank you for the work that you do and for helping us and our team um, really get the word out, particularly in rural communities across the West. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And hope we get talk with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time and I appreciate it. Well, that wraps up our conversation with Jason. And as mentioned in the discussion, we've got a lot of great content coming out this month to help support providers and community members and learning more about this drug and what it means for our communities across the rural West. A quick reminder, please like or follow us wherever you get your podcast. And as always, please remember to give each other a little life support. Until next time. We'll see you later. 